My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 30 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. Hey everybody, racing is back and this week we want to make sure that you can keep on racing with an injury-free summer and to help us achieve that, this week we talked to Dr. Peter Francis, lecturer in sport and health science at IT Carlo and author of the new book, Running From Injury. Everybody, get your running gear on, let's go. Great to have you on board again, everyone, and we've got a great slot coming up now shortly as well with Rene Borg on the importance of variability in our training, again, to try and help ensure that we stay healthy and injury-free this summer. Speaking of being in tip-top shape, great to see some results coming through in the Emma races over the last two weeks as well, with some friends of the podcast doing really, really well. Barry Minnick, Irish international and Dublin marathon podium finisher on multiple occasions, who you can check out in episode 10. Barry is also a recent daddy as well so great to see lots of super things happening in the Minnick household while Barry won the Prince William seat race and Sarah Brady won the ladies race as well Rory Long who was with us at the start of the podcast well over a year ago now well Rory won the first Emirates race back in Belmont with Aideen Burke taking the ladies win so congratulations to those two as well and they've been super busy in Emirates because they've also held races in Fort Mountain in Wexford and Buin in Cork so make sure to check out imrid.ie for a full set of results for those races and some great photographs of all the races mentioned as well. Before we call in Rene and Peter this week for some wonderful injury prevention tips if you do like the company of the podcast on your runs or if you like listening to the show as you're going about your day please do pop over to Patreon Trail Running Ireland podcast and I'd be very grateful of your support as your support will help keep trail running ireland going all year round from as little as three euros a month and i could say for the price of a coffee but sure don't all podcasters looking for a bit of support say that the price of a coffee but what i might say is the price of a protein bar and a good protein bar at that well before you do pop over to patreon guys let's get cracking on with episode 30 and call in our coaching guru Rene Borg from runningcoach.ie. Rene, good to have you on the show again. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, good to be back, Owen. Yes, yeah, so I was just saying to you, Aaron just recovered from a little club race over the weekends. Uh, so I'm starting to feel like the brain's working normally again. And, um, and how did it go, Rene? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. I did. It's because we ran the Glen to Glen half marathon course, which is a road race, but it's very hilly. So a lot of trail ra- and very scenic. So a lot of trail runners. Uh, I know have enjoyed it when we've been able to run it normally as well. So there was just kind of a, a bunch of club runners racing each other from, you know, the from the upper lake down in Glenlock and up to the top of Glen McNass waterfall and then back down again. So, yeah, it was it was great to do it um, because I was trying to do it in February and I actually went out so aggressively. They ended up blowing up Owen. 
<laughs> so it was nice to do it properly this time. Well, I know I've seen some of the photographs on just the lap of the gap and um, social media pages, Rennie, and it looks like a really, really beautiful place to run. Some great scenery and uh, looks tricky, looks hard. I mean, lots of hills and lots of climbing there, but um, I'm sure it was good fun. Yeah, and I got actually a, a big cheer from two of your former clubmates, Owen, Peter O'Farrell and Aaron O'Donoghue. Uh, they came past me on their bikes there, heading up towards the Sally Gap. Yeah, they were helping out Brian Fury and Rennie over the weekend. Brian was doing the Wicklow round and he did a very impressive time of, I think, just over 18 hours. So they're out giving Brian a hand. He didn't quite get the record that Gavin Byrne has, but he got a Farnham Club record anyway. Oh, yeah, well, that counts for something. You know, your, your club is, the standard isn't too shabby. Yeah, yeah. But listen, Randy, the topic that we were going to discuss today was variability in our training. Just to have a chat about making sure that we don't go stale, that we don't end up doing the same thing for months and months on end. Because if we can add some change to our training, it will help create new stimulus in the body. It will help us progress over time. And most importantly, it can help prevent injuries as well by using different muscle groups. So we thought that was an interesting topic maybe to delve into for today's chat. Yeah, and it's, I, I wanted to talk about it really because, you know, we've been harping on about consistency so much. Uh, and I think a lot of it, you can, you can get this um, idea nearly that variation is the opposite of consistency. You know, but it obviously it isn't, you know, the opposite uh, of variation is monotony. So it's very important to distinguish between those two things that monotony is a huge problem and that'll very likely get you injured. But it's not the same. You know, what you really want is what they, Arthur Lydiard, you know, he used to call it consistency with variation. So I thought we could talk about that because it can be a bit confusing. How, how can you have those two things together? Um, but in fact, you know, because it's variation that protects you from injury, that's what creates the consistency. You know, that, that, that's a driver of consistency. So just as a good example that a lot of runners recognize straight away because it has to do with intensity. You know, I, when I first started running with Imra, this um, guy called Jimmy Sinnott and a lot of people would know him he used to say to me that you know the problem a lot of the you young lads he said have because I was obviously a good 10-15 years younger than him he was saying was that you run all your easy runs too hard and then you're too tired in your hard sessions so you run all your hard sessions too easy but what's the lesson there it is that when you do that you actually have less variation in your training if you think about it so if you just run everything kind of moderate you know, so your easy runs are moderate and your hard runs become just steady home or a little bit hard because you're too tired by the time that day comes in. Then the overall variation in the training is less, you know. So in many ways, this idea we've been talking about throughout this series of, say, polarized training, where you do, make sure your easy runs are easy and then do some really fast speed work, let's say, during your base phase. That's actually a very good example of the variation principle because you have huge variation there from very easy to very fast and it's a bit like Rene maybe after say a race a very hard race that we've done when we're really working really hard outside of our normal training comfort zone where we maybe protect our legs a little bit and I'm sure everybody knows the feeling a bit like yourself Rene today after the lap of the gap run over the weekend I raced on Saturday too with a long run there yesterday 
And today I was forced to run easy, you know, back at the very low end of zone one, because I had that variation, if you like, over the weekend of really pushing it hard. And sometimes if we get stuck in that training block of just consistent, monotonous training, that's what happens because we're not pushing either end too far that we just get stuck in the middle somewhere. Yeah, there is... um... I, like years ago, I read a book by a guy called uh, Nassim Taleb, you know, and one of the things he was saying is that when the more you're a specialist, the more fragile you are uh, to variety. And we obviously see that in this whole, you know, if you wanted to train, let's say, kind of an, an action movie star or an action movie hero, you know, someone who can walk through the jungle carrying a heavy pack, uh, you know, lift wounded people out, you know, fight and jump and do everything, you wouldn't train him like an endurance athlete because if you did that, he would lose a lot of all those varied skills. So we all know that when you specialize in a sport, you lose something else um, and you can specialize so narrow. Let's say I only do training on hard, flat surfaces because let's say I'm a track or road runner or whatever. And that it makes you again more vulnerable to everything that's not that. So, you know, it's variety allows you um, within the range that you think you can allow for the goals that you have. It allows you to keep your body protected from more types of stress because we know that there's a principle called use it or lose it. So mm-hmm. I hadn't run much on roads so on recently. So I, I've felt that a bit in the legs now, you know, this morning that suddenly here was, you know, 13 miles um, on, on hard roads. And so you need to build, if you build in, as you say, this variety, then you keep protected from many different things. And yeah. A lot of people have this misconception if they go back and they look at the original training, you saw such as Arthur Lydia's because so much comes from him that it was very monotonous because they have this idea that you build through oh, his 100 mile week, you know, that we've all heard about. But I, if you do, just allow me, I, I looked at this original week, the way he had, um, had written it out in, in his book and, and people can forget for a second all the mileage that's there you know just imagine that you were running a bit less and you could just do something similar but there's a huge amount of variety even in that block of base training that they do and you know they prescribe prescribe sorry slightly different um durations and paces and terrains which is something that we often forget about even if we don't introduce variability into our training and if we are specializing too much our legs and our body they actually cease to improve don't they like there's only so much range that the human body has where say we're continuously running five by one k all year round will improve very quickly but then we'll hit a plateau, I think, as well. Um, so that's why it is so important that if you're doing, say, a five by one K or even, say, hill reps for a couple of weeks, that then after a couple of weeks, you do something different as well. That it's not just the same type of session all the time, because we might fall into the trap of, oh, well, I improved so much over the first four or five weeks. I'm going to keep on proving, but improving. But the reality is, of course, that the body just plateaus out. Yeah, like I mean, if you, we know that when if all you do is long, slow distance, especially on flat and you know kind of unchallenging terrain, we know that the body loses strength and that you know the same areas get kind of worn and and what we say kind of nearly kind of a muscle wasting effect, um, and that's not something 
you really want because you might be able to get away with this because you feel fitter in you know your heart and your cardiovascular system feels fitter but the legs just slowly get weaker and weaker you know as the as the yeah. years progress and as you say the we have so many different uh, types of muscles that need to learn to and muscle fibers that need to learn to work in different ways and the only way to try and get all of them involved is to do different things you know so even if you don't do uh, cross training or cycling or rowing or natural movement training or strength training you know although you know it probably would be good to dabble a bit in other things and uh, next to your running as you can fit it in uh, and even for our for our trail runners Renny, sorry for our trail runners i mean say after a summer of running in the mountains wouldn't it be great even maybe to do some cross-country races come october and november where you get to maybe work in a bit of speed on the flat even though the cross country isn't quite the same as the road or the track but you'll get to work those different um, muscles different turnover as well so that's maybe a medium to long-term plan that will absolutely get up the hills over the summertime but maybe give something like the cross country go over the winter yeah, it works both ways because, you know, we've seen that people who all they do is, is long, slow plodding on the hills that can create its own problems because, you know, yeah. the uphill and the downhill is hard on the body, too. Um, and you can maybe and you often then lose a little bit of your uh, mobility and your stride length and your flat speed and things, you know, so you, you have to make those shifts. And like Arthur Lydiard, for instance, in the original book, and it's the only place, the only time he actually describes that is how the season looked in New Zealand in the 1950s and 60s. And so they had 10 weeks of a thousand miles, which was those hundred mile weeks that became very famous. But then they had six weeks of what they called hill training, where they covered about 60 miles a week. Then they had 800 miles of track-based training, not all track, but where the sessions were focused around that for about 12 weeks, you know, it's about 70 miles a week. And then they had 16 weeks of what they call Harrier training, where they also covered 800 miles, but that's cross country. As that means they had 16 weeks set aside for, for just, you know, basically running cross country sessions and races. And then finally they had a, a, an eight week road racing training based uh, season where they covered about uh, 560 miles. So you can see during the year that it was huge variety, both in the average volume of these top athletes, but they also covered all the bases, like over the course of a year, they basically, they didn't have hill running specifically then, but they did do hill training. They did the big volume base. They did that cross country training. They did some track or speed, flat speed based training. And then they did some road racing training. So they really had everything. And that, of course, it doesn't just apply or any to those top guys, the elite guys. We can apply that same theory to amateur runners as well, because I, I think a lot of people do get stuck in the trap of, as you said, running just steady within a certain comfort zone all year round. And then they don't develop that speed that probably they have. Um, and it would be a good idea that just to introduce some, some VO2 max sessions like we've spoken about before on the show, some, some strides to start off with, moving up to 200 metres to 400 metres, and not to be afraid of it. That even though maybe for the last couple of months you've just been running steady, don't be afraid to test out the body, to do it slowly, but you know that you can run a fast 200 meters, you can run a fast 400 meters, and of course that will improve the whole chain as well. So when you do go to race or whatever it might be, you will have that extra kick in the leg. And it doesn't just have to be to, to win a race or to get on a podium, this is for everybody at all different levels. Yes, and even small pace variations have value. Uh, which is something we we tend to, tend to maybe get a little bit away from it because today we have obviously watches that can tell you 
with very high accuracy what pace you're at so if you are the type of runner and, and maybe there's less of these among the trail runners but if you are the type of runner who you go out and you say well today i should be kind of running 450 minutes per kilometer or whatever uh, to feel good about this run uh, because you have the kind of very um digital input from the watch you might stay too narrow on that because every time you stray a little bit from that you can see it on the screen but in reality the what research shows us is that we it's healthier for the body in every respect to oscillate as they call it the pace slightly and normally you do this naturally because when you go run there is a constant variation in your energy levels and you're constantly adjusting to how you feel so that means if you go out and you say well this is a gonna i want this to be an easy run um you're constantly trying to read does it feel easy and then adjusting your pace a little bit up and down and the only way you can actually the, the human body cannot uh, monitor constant speed the only way you get feedback on pace is by acceleration and deceleration and the, and the body perceives this based on how abrupt it is so is it a very slow gentle acceleration is very abrupt acceleration so the best thing you can do really is to you know you remember that your your first biofeedback system is the body and the watch is the additional information it's not the other way around yeah so constantly monitor that and allow yourself you know if you feel a bit like oh actually this this doesn't feel like it should be if you just drift down for a bit and actually embrace the fact that your run is not metronomic you know, and it's, it shouldn't, it doesn't have to be huge mountains and big valleys, like an interval session, but just kind of a gentle little variation in paces. And thankfully with trails, and this is the best thing about trails in my mind is they tend to kind of force a bit that it's very, very hard to run steady on, on even uh, an undulating trail. And maybe just to finish off the point for today, Rene, I mean, isn't it so true for, I think, all aspects of life as well, that we have variation? And that might be just little things like taking a different way walking to the bus stop or a different way driving to the supermarket, because I think research has shown that the brain also gets great stimulus from adding variation to our day-to-day activities as well. Yeah, exactly. There's a little bit of a harsh saying that encompasses that, which is that if you wake up every morning and you know exactly what your day is going to look like, you're already dead. (laughs) And, you know, it's harsh, but there's some truth to it. And I think a lot of us, when we were young, we grew up with this fear that would we, you know, would life end up being like that? I think certainly when I was a young man, that was my greatest fear was the white picket fence life where I knew where every day was the same. You know, I, I think certainly for, for very many of us, variation is the spice of life, right? So, yeah. Absolutely. And I think that doesn't running help with that as well, because one day we might have an easy run, the next day we might have a hard run, and then with a bit of luck, a race at the weekend. And that certainly helps keep us going anyway. Yeah. So, folks, if you're out there listening to this, uh, you know, and every run looks like the same or more or less the same, then sp- spice it up. Absolutely. Well, listen, Rene, thanks, Emil. And Rene, just before we go, what's next up for you yourself? Do you have any races on the calendar that you have your eye on? Uh, I'm actually very tempted to go and attend the trial race. Oh, not because I would have any aspirations, but because it'd be good training for the World Masters next year. The one in Lugnaquilla, of course, that was just released during the weeks. So people mightn't have seen it. But yeah, the trial race for the World Championships in Thailand. Yeah, it's just such a brilliant course, you know. So if we talked about it over the weekend, it's yeah. straight up and down, simple, no, no great complications. To, you know, you can just really get into the climb and then focus on the descent. So, so maybe that's, we have a few club races as well. 
um, coming up um, in the coming weeks. And we have a few fr friendship matches, you could call them, uh, with some other clubs as well, I think, being lined up for August. And then the Wicklow Road Race, and I probably won't interest that trade runners, but here in Wicklow, the Wicklow Road Race Championship is actually going to go ahead on Wednesday the 7th. So um, there's a bit of excitement around that as well. Great. Well, those 5K races, they'll help you on your descent down Lugnaquella. And Lugnaquella, Rene, on um, August, is it August 21st? I think it is, if, if I'm right there. It's around that weekend, anyway, for the trial race for the World Championships in Thailand. And with a bit of luck, Rene, sure, I might see you on the start line there as well. Rene, ready for That's the company. only time you'll see me. <laughs> <laughs> Rene Borg from Running Coach Dolly. Rene, thanks a million, and we look forward to talking to you in about two weeks' time. All right, I'll take care. Thanks, Rene. For our feature interview this week, guys, I'm really looking forward to this one as we're about to call in somebody who has lived a running journey, both as a young athlete starting off, someone who went through a number of nightmare injury years, but then came out the other side with many years of injury-free running and PBs to boot, as well as picking up three degrees and various coaching and consultancy roles as well. Author of the new book released on June 28, Running From Injury, let's dial in Peter Francis. Peter Francis, you're very welcome to the Trail Running Ireland podcast. Peter, how are you doing? Uh, very well, Owen. It's, it's good to be here. No, it's a pleasure, Peter. And I know it's an exciting time for you this week because you're just about to release what looks like a fascinating book, Running From Injuries, something that we all want to know how to avoid the dreaded injuries. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I suppose that the book is, is, is split into two parts. And the first half is to tell you you know, as, as plainly as I can, where, where we're going wrong as runners and getting the injuries. And, and the second section then is is very much focused on solutions, what we can do to avoid it. And of course, Billy, you're coming at it from both angles that you're a lecturer in sport and health science in IT Carlo, but you've also been a keen runner for a long, long time. And maybe just to start off the interview today, you could tell us about your own journey. I know you started at a young age, I think, and, you know, you, you had a talent there. You were running very fast, but you had your injuries as well. And that's maybe where the, the interest came in this specific area. Oh, completely. Um, I mean, the, the book is a product of, of trying to solve a personal problem. I started running when I was 15, 16 years of age and uh, really enjoyed it, um, really took to it. And I found the more I trained, the better I got. And, and that motivated my uh, desire to go and sp study sports science at UL. Um, but unfortunately, by the time I reached UL, even after, after leaving cert, I was so um, injury prone that uh, I couldn't achieve any sort of consistency and, and improve from, from my teenage years. So the result of that was kind of um, a series of comebacks over the next 10 or 12 years that essentially went nowhere. But I, I studied three science degrees in total. I, I became a coach at a very young age to, to kind of fill the gap initially. And um, slowly but surely, the more I applied my trade in, in sports science and sports medicine, um, the more I began to help, to help other athletes. And when I was 29, I kind of figured, you know, I'd, I'd pretty much given up by that point. I'd even done two half Ironmans, but I... I decided maybe I could uh, have one more go at this. Maybe I knew enough and maybe I could see a color picture for a different way of doing things. And um, I gave it a go. 
and uh, eight week an eight week program turned into three years and I, I thankfully managed to to break all those uh, personal bests of, of my youth and so the book really is a mix of the athlete the coach the science um all kind of poured into one into one book but um with a big emphasis on communicating it clearly and simply so that people can actually use the information you know and before we get to the to the magic secrets of success and avoiding injury, Peter, what do you think it was in those early years in that first decade that led to those injuries? Was it overtraining? Was it, I don't know, bad biomechanics, general mistakes? What was it that, that led to that bad domino effect and that prevented you from reaching your, your, your targets in the first, first half of your running career? Uh, look, it's, it's it's very much all of the above, um, and and I think the book tries to emphasise that. That I think where we're going wrong nowadays when we read articles online and so on is that we're focusing in on one thing and we need to zoom out um, and kind of adjust a few basic things. So in my case, uh, you know, firstly I was overtraining. Um, you know, I was I was up on seventy miles a week uh, even before I turned seventeen. Um, so very high volume, uh, very little movement variability. Uh, I'm six foot four. So, uh, you know, heavy stride mechanics doing that kind of volume. Um, you know, but also it's probably a, a lack of knowledge in, in, in some of the, the early coaching structures that I was involved in, but also, you know, there's behavioral psychology to all this stuff too, in terms of, um, having a lot on outside of running, um, maybe not having the discipline to be patient um, and build up my running and um, not being aware of strength and conditioning, uh, yoga, weight training, plyometrics, circuit training, you know, all, all these other things um, that we need. Um, so it was just a very, very high volume, um, low variability program. And of course, because that works initially and you, you improve, it's very hard then you see to let go of who you used to be. And that's, that's part of why it took so long is, is in your mind, you know, that the training you did originally brought you the personal best, but what you can't fully work out is that the training you did originally also brought you the injuries. And so a lot of the problem comes from coming back from an injury and too quickly trying to get back to who you used to be. And so you end up in this yo-yo cycle where you're going up and down between injury and comeback and injury and comeback, you know? Yeah, well, it's interesting, Peter, that you mentioned that even though you started at a very young age, that you were still having the injury troubles. Because just from my own experience, say, with my own club, what I noticed over the years was that those runners in Matfarnham that say started running athletics when they were in their early teen years or even younger, they actually didn't get as injured as much as the likes of myself and some of my club mates who maybe started in their mid twenties who had maybe football legs or rugby legs or whatever it might be. And we ended up getting injured a lot more. So I find that fascinating that even though you started early, that you still had those injury troubles. But as you said, so many things were going against you that it must have been very hard to stay healthy. Yeah, and, you know, what's important as well is is maybe even more so than when I started, 
you have to remember I start, you know, I'm, I'm well into my 15th year turning 16 when I start. Um, but by the age of 17, I'm already at 70 miles a week. So it, yes, yeah. the rate of change there is way too quick. You see, you see? Um, so it, that's probably more of the factor was, was okay. You're still growing and all the rest of it, but, um, the rate of progress and uh, been, been too quick was probably the big issue, you know? Okay. Well, let's get into some of the content of the book, because I'm sure people are dying to hear, you know, what, what advice, what tips you can give them. And without going through everything today, because we want people to have a look at the book as well. And I know you have your blog as well, which is full of fantastic information. So I think today we said that we focus on a couple of, you know, important areas that can help everybody of all levels. So we might maybe go through them quickly, Peter, if you think that's okay. And just the first one that I had spotted was yoga. And of course, there's such debate in the running community, especially over the last maybe 10 years or so about stretching, whether to stretch before, stretch afterwards, or whether to stretch at all. But in the last maybe year or two, yoga has become very popular and very, very effective as well in helping to prevent injuries. So maybe we could start off with your own experience with that and whether you would advise it or not. Yeah. So, you know, one thing I do with runners a lot, if, if, if we're at a talk or, or a course or that is to try as much as possible to think in concepts um, rather than specifics. So, um, I think nowadays we're a little bit trapped in a is it good or is it bad kind of mentality and that's where that kind of reasoning comes from in terms of will we stretch before will we stretch after will we do static will we do dynamic and all of a sudden we're lost in the detail um, that, that we don't really need to be so what I'd say like for example about yoga is one of the reasons it would have worked for me is uh, as a concept it introduced movement variability uh, not just into my training, but into my day. So, you know, modern life is full of sustained postures where we're sitting in, you know, on sofas and in cars and everything else. Um, and other than when we're athletes, we're essentially, you know, couch potatoes a lot of the time. So yoga was a way of relieving sustained posture, which was going to be good in daily life. It was a way of adding variability to training, which was going to be good. And um, it's also a way of relaxing and increasing your headspace. So, um, by kind of uh, unwinding um, and kind of calming that nervous system down and relaxing, um, you know, th- there's a chance then that you're also going to get a be in a calmer headspace and get a better night's sleep, for example. So it was a, it was an effective tool, but maybe not for the kind of um, stretching emphasized reasons that that people might traditionally associate it with, but for but for a combination of factors, you know. Yeah, and I must admit that I found that very helpful for myself, Peter, as well. When I was stuck in my own injury rut in 2015 and 2016, I'd come back, I'd come off the back of a couple of years of marathon training, road running, lots of the repetitive movement movement that we have spoken about. And I tore my groin, my abductor, just couldn't heal it until I went to a personal trainer who just taught me some yoga exercises to to change the my to change my hip mobility to release that abductor muscle just in a different way and again as you said it was probably just mentally as well doing something different relaxing the muscle where the traditional physio 
and the traditional exercises weren't working. I was just getting kept on breaking down, breaking down. And only when I did something different, like the yoga in that case, that it healed up. And it's a it's a very good approach, I think, that if you're stuck in a rut, to, to try something different like the yoga for all those reasons. Yeah, for sure. And the, the next one that we were going to touch on was, and I love this one, um, why runners should train like sp- sprinters and especially for the guys that are listening to our show peter that a lot of them are you know running up hills every weekend running up mountains but no matter what pace you think you're limited to or or how fast your race might or might not be there's so much benefit to introducing speed into your training well yeah there is and and part of that benefit is um sort of replicated by by what you're saying with your guys running up the hills um because when you run quickly you use better biomechanics and um you can tell that by just looking at the olympic 100 meters you'll see that they all have a, a nice flexed hip knee and ankle um they're using their muscles and joints through a full range um so it's it's important for runners particularly runners maybe um, on the flat who spend a lot of their time um, just kind of plodding along. Um, so when, when you run quickly or when you run up a hill, it forces you to create that bend at the hip and the knee and the ankle and start using your muscles to support yourself um, a lot more. So that's one reason that it's, that it's really good. A second reason is that, again, it introduces good old uh, variability into training, which Running is a sport low on variability, so so it's important for that reason. And a third reason that it's good is um, psychologically, it gives you confidence in your body. And if you're previously an injury-prone runner, you'll be you'll be short on confidence in your body. But one of the things that happens when you sprint is you start to realize, you know, hey, this 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 body actually works pretty well here, um, and that feeds into a confidence um, that you can kind of train to to a good level. So. Again, there's, there's lots of reasons for doing it, you know? Yeah. And like, we're not talking doing 400 meter laps to the track straight away. Something simple like 60 to 80 meter sprints at the end of a training session, or if you are out on your trail run to sprint 10 seconds up the hill or go as hard as you can. So we don't need to be killing ourselves, pulling our hamstring as we're sprinting around the track. No, this is not a volume. Uh, this is not a volume-based exercise. This is a uh, think of it more like a like a strength and conditioning um, uh, exercise. So yeah, if you can get a slight incline, um, that that helps because firstly, the incline forces you to use good form, um, and and secondly, um, the speed will also do that. Um, so yeah, it it it's it's it's. I mean, I used to just. I used to have a session when I was first coming back where I would warm up a um, couple of miles. I would do some uh, bounding and plyometrics and I might just do, you know, five 50 meter hills um, something like that. In, in later years, when I did transition onto the track and been able to do track sessions and so on, uh, I started with two 400s, um, which, you know, again, is completely the opposite of what the, the volume uh, junkies that we all are, you know, will do. But, um, when I did the two 400s, warm up, did those, warm down, go home. Um, you know, when you do add one on for another 10 weeks, all of a sudden you're at 12 400s and you've got a track session, you know. So mm-hmm. um, 
it, a lot of this stuff is about taking your time as well. Yeah. You mentioned just, you know, feeling confident and feeling strong and powerful when you're doing, doing those strides. And that's another key tip that you have in the book, Peter, as well, about running to feel that we shouldn't be slaves to our watches and our Strava and training peaks, that you have to be confident in, in how your body, in what your body is telling it to do. And not to be always looking at the watch. To, it's okay that if you're feeling tired, to run tired that day. And if you're feeling strong, to run strong as well. And I know that was a big factor in the success of some of your training as well. Absolutely. And I mean, the last chapter in the book is called A Little Less Information because, um, you know, not just in running, but I think nowadays we're, we're kind of drowning in information, whether it's about uh, diet or footwear or whatever it is. So, yeah, it's, it's really about tuning back into how you're feeling um, and getting a handle on that. And, you know, w- when you know what an easy run feels like and what a tempo run feels like and what a, you know, a track effort feels like, um, that's that's a great guide because the watch will tell you all sorts of different things uh, on different days. And if you if you indulge in it too much, you you'll sort of maybe get overconfident on the days where you're where you're flying, but you'll also beat yourself up uh, on the days where you're not going so well. Whereas if you can kind of stay with the effort uh, as opposed to what's coming up on the watch, you will always progress over time. You know. Yeah, and I wonder how many of us can actually admit that. How many days of the week do we come back from a run? and actually feel refreshed and energized, which we should be for the majority of our running sessions. But I think a lot of us, you know, we're guilty of maybe 80% of the time coming home from a run and feeling wrecked where, you know, that should only be for the race days and for the hard days. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, And I think a big thing that runners are probably guilty of there in that context is um, running in what I call no man's land. So, it's it's too quick to develop an aerobic base or to recover and it's too slow to get any faster um so but it is it is hard on the body and and i think one of the reasons it's one of the hardest zones on the body is because it's it's fast enough uh to be stressful on the body but slow enough to apply that stress for a long time and I think that's where a lot of injury and illness comes from is, is training in that no man's land in between where you're kind of constantly under the cosh, but never really under the cosh uh, and never really, uh, you know, building a base or, or, or recovering well, you know. Yeah, we've spoken a lot on the podcast before with Rene Borg about using five different zones and what we refer to as easy running would be zone one and zone two. Is that how you would work as well? I mean, would you be a big advocate of running in those lower zones, that zone one, zone two? Is that how you structure your own training formats? I have to say like the... The, there's use in 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 learning that stuff in terms of I, I i would have been fortunate to learn about a lot of those concepts um early on as a sports scientist and then i would have practiced maybe training at certain heart rates to to kind of get a feel of what kind of pace am i talking about and what kind of heart rate does that correspond um having said that uh the second time around which is the successful time around you could say 
I didn't yeah. really use any of that. Um, now, part of that is is because of having knowledge, you know, and and kind of I suppose knowing what I was doing, to, you know, to an extent. But um, another part of it is kind of coming back to this a bit less information. Um, one one of the reasons that running in the slower zones is is good is it's it's low inflammatory in other words it's it's when you're using fat primarily as a fuel source and you're working below a certain threshold um it's it's less damaging you know a bit like a bit like when you're lifting weights and you're sore the next day it's kind of it's kind of a bit like that um so you can tend to do more of it and recover a bit quicker um and also build your capacity to be able to tolerate um the other sessions so um i'm imagining that if you're saying around zone one zone two is that kind of area then runners mm-hmm. are probably guilty of training a bit too much in zone three and four you know yeah yeah i think as you said that's the the no man's land isn't it in zone three now there is a time for it of course but a very small percentage of time you, you touched as well there on all the data and all the information that is available to us. And there was another section that you spoke about, Peter, in the book about headspace. And I really loved one of your quotes where you said, remember, you can run without headspace, but you can't train. And what you were getting at there was about that, that if we use all of our head energy, all of our brain power to, to get the training done in the morning, and then we're exhausted, we'll probably end up making mistakes during the rest of the day because we don't have the brain power to concentrate on not going for that bar of chocolate or not doing something relaxing or getting too stressed too easy. So I thought that was a really great part of what, of what you were talking about in terms of just making sure that we have enough headspace to be able to enjoy our training and not let the stresses of life affect our training too much. Yeah. I think, you know, the second time around for me, enjoyment of the process was, was the, was the king rather than the, the outcome. And, um, you know, a big part in, in the second time around for me was very much the learnings I got from behavioral psychology. And, you know, there's a great book, um, thinking fast and thinking slow by, by Daniel Kamen and another one, um, the marshmallow test um by professor walter michel and and basically they're both describing two parts of the brain you know the rational one and the more impulsive one and um they're kind of explaining that the the capacity of the rational one it's got it's got a limited fuel tank so in other words you can only concentrate on uh something for so long and you can only concentrate on a certain number of things for so long before that tank becomes depleted and when that tank is depleted you're in reactive mode um all the time so the second time around for me it was a case of limiting my options and kind of investing properly um in it which meant i couldn't do everything you know i had to i had to get finished work on time um and i had to curtail you know even even social things like maybe going to watch a maybe going to watch a rugby match uh down the country because it wasn't so much about watching the match, but the trip down there, the trip back and everything else um, that goes with it. So, um, you know, I do think making headspace for whatever it is you're trying to do in your life um, is important, but really important in 2021 when we're just overloaded, you know, as a society with the amount of stuff going on that 
you have to really develop a good discipline and saying, look, if this running thing is important, uh, certainly from a performance point of view, uh, I, I need to make room for this. Otherwise, it's not going to work. You know, when I was when I was in UL, I do my PhD. I, I ran for 40 weeks one time because I I put together some good learnings. But the reason it broke down in the end was I was trying to train like an elite athlete, do a PhD and study on the weekends and and do seven other projects at the same time, you know, so um yeah definitely definitely the psychological stuff is is massive for for developing consistency and do you have any little tips or techniques peter for you know it's a friday evening we're all exhausted after a hard week and after ferrying the kids around to their different activities or whatever where you know does a second bar of chocolate there or does a couple of you know extra glasses of wine there to be drank as you said it's so hard to say no if our brains are exhausted so, so is there any little trigger word that we can use or any little tip that we can use to say no no extra bar no extra glass of wine of a session in the morning um uh, no and and the reason the reason is that um when you're in that state you're in it you're in a place of lack so you're you're not going to be able to come over uh, overcome your your biology so well so that so the real trick is not getting to that place on Friday evening. So yeah. the, 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 the things that are promoting the, the overindulgence are probably happening Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Um, so if you can figure out how to get your week onto a more even keel, um, you will be less, less ravenous when you get to that Friday, Friday evening. Um, and if you're more relaxed and have more headspace, you just won't be, um, craving it in quite the same way i mean a real simple answer i used to give when i was asked that question you know like i was i was actually once asked what do you do when you want to run fast you know what's what's the first thing you do and i literally just said like, i i make sure i'm out of work by out of the office by four o'clock um yeah. and 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 the reason for that is the time it takes to to make something to eat to get a good night's sleep and whatever else and 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 what i'll say about headspace as well is Try and stack the deck in your favor. And the way you do that is, is capitalizing on the easy wins. In other words, like the resources that are nearest to you. So for example, um, let's say, let's say you've got kids, right? But your 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 runner's yoga class is an hour across town. Like that's no good for you because you're gonna lose uh two hours getting there and getting back. And whatever benefits you've got from the yoga are gone now. But if you were to if you were to, for example, bring your kids to um, soccer training and while they were soccer training, you were to do 20 minutes of app-guided yoga on the back pitch, now you're stacking the deck in your favor and you're also, you're, you're, you're kind of, um, you're also adding to your headspace because you're getting two jobs done at once and making it work realistically within your lifestyle. I mean, one of the reasons I used to do yoga was because in the downstairs gym at work there was yoga on wednesday and friday um so i just made that work in my in my program because i knew it would be no extra headspace to get there you know yeah i know one thing that i do myself peter as well is that you know sometimes i'd love to go to the mountains to to do a session or do a training run but the mountains might be an hour away so, you know, if I'm to go to the mountains, do my 90 minutes or my two hours there, but the hour car drive, get parking, do my run and then drive back, 
it's a four hour training session. And then that just, you know, sets me off to, to a bad start for the whole day. And then I'm yeah. chasing my tail for the rest of the afternoon. So t- sometimes I might just sacrifice that training run in the mountains and then just be more relaxed during the day because I just go down to the local park instead or the local hills instead. Maybe the quality of the run isn't as good, but at least I still got 90 minutes in, two hours in, and I'm not stressed out for the rest of the day because I've lost two hours driving there, um, which can be in the long term more beneficial because you're more relaxed. You recover quicker, of course, as well. So it's just to make those little little sacrifices that can actually work in your favor as well. Absolutely. And I think with that specific example, Owen, the, the, the what you're getting from the local hills, it won't be that far off, like is the is the big thing. And, and the other thing is um, for you to do that and behave like that. Uh, it's all about confidence. So so athletes have to have confidence that if they if they develop a process for training that they trust it and kind of know that they can deliver on the day. Like when I was running, um, you know, I uh, I never trained uh, really near the red line at all. Um, but I knew if I was consistent that the race would take care of itself. And, and you know, I remember the first uh, personal best I ran when I was running the second time around. And I never ran like the, the kind of Saturday morning park run any faster than, you know, 17 and a half minutes or just under that. But then when I did the 10K race, I put two 17 10s back to back. So you've, you've got to trust yourself that if you're consistent doing things right and not stressing yourself out, uh, that it will it will it will work out for you in the race you know and, and in, in that case it's a case of look if I get the local hills done every week it'll be better than getting the mountains done every third week because I'm all over the place you know what I mean so it's yeah it's, it's, it's about confidence that in, in in the process you know it's a great example that you just gave there Peter and sometimes it might be considered a leap of faith by runners that to yeah. trust yeah. the protest the process to trust the training and I suppose to, to get from running steady or 5K park runs at 17.30 or whatever it might be to then running two 17.10s back to back, did you find that maybe visualization helped thinking about the actual race day itself? Or was it just a constant getting the training done every day and then you knew it would happen? Or did you actually have to, you know, really think hard and concentrate and visualize I can do this. Uh, no, the first thing to say is, right, the whole thing is, is fluke in terms of um, how I, I'll tell you how I got there. So, so firstly, you have to remember at the start of this process, I've given up on the notion of being a competitive runner and that is key. So because I'm thinking I'm never going to be a competitive runner, I've managed to shed all my baggage about running and everything about it. So, so I'm stumbling into some sort of um, consistency, but I'm no longer kind of um, attached to all the norms of before. So what I did was I said, you know, what would I need to do just to be able to run consistently, you know, um, and try and get a bit fitter? And so when I wrote down everything on a page I needed to do, there was four days training, which meant there was only three days left to run. Now, um, I said, okay, let's, let's see, can I do that for eight weeks? 
so I did that for eight weeks and I delivered the 17 tens. Now, what's happening then is you're starting to believe in, in what you're doing. Um, and all of a sudden eight weeks becomes three years and, you know, um, 34, 20 becomes 33, 45, you know? So, um, one of the things that shocked me, uh, about the whole thing was how little I had to do provided I did it consistently. And I have a graph, um, that, that I'll show you sometime, but the, the line in terms of the volume of, of miles run. So I have a kind of a graph where all the dots are there over the course of three years. And if you draw a line through the dots, it's almost a straight line uh, of an average over three years of 30 miles a week. But if you draw another line through what happens to my 10K times, it goes from 36.40 to 35.20 to 34.20 to 33.40. It just goes down, down like a rocket. Um, so, so, you know, um, it, it wasn't a case that I, I kind of, I, I became consistent. I wrote a new program. I got better and better and the confidence um, grew from there. But I do think what released me for, to do that was, was giving up on the old kind of way of, of doing things, you know? It's a great example of, of consistency, isn't it? And the benefit of avoiding injuries where, as you said at the start of the interview, you were doing 70 mile weeks at an early age, but there I think you just mentioned that you were doing 30 mile weeks over three years and that led to incredible performances. And that was maybe the last point that I was going to touch on from my side today, Peter, was that you, you have spoken before and written before about obsessing about the process, not obsessing about the results and the end goal, but about the process. And I think you've described it very well there, just to get through the day-to-day -day running, to get consistency, to, to practice race day preparation consistently, and then everything else will take care of itself. And that and that's it. Yeah, that, that's it in a nutshell. And, and I think when you hit on a model that's sustainable, you're you're you enjoy it more because you're not under the cost the whole time. So yeah. you're kind of on the front foot, uh, so to speak. Um, and yeah, it's it, it's it's a lot more enjoyable that way. Now the program did go on eventually to you know, I would I would do a block of training where the average miles would be 40 weeks. And instead of running three days, I was running four. And it does progress, but it, it's just, it progresses slowly, you know? Yeah. Well, listen, Peter, it's been an absolutely fascinating conversation today. We could go on for another half an hour, but but our time is against us. And Peter, maybe we could finish off by just letting people know where they can get the book from, where they can read some of your previous work as well, and get some of that great advice that you've been talking about today. Um, so they can read any of the, the blogs I've written on peterfrancis.blog. Um, the book is out this day, uh, next week on Amazon. So that's the 28th of, of June. Um, but yeah, everything they would, they would need is on peterfrancis.blog. Okay, super. And final question for me, Peter, what's your next goal yourself? Do you have another 10K target in front of you or how is your own training going at the moment? Well, uh, at the... at the Don't tell me you're injured. <laughs> no, no. Um, at, at the back end of 2018, I, I stopped the competitive stuff. Um, I went all in for three years and I was in incredible 
physical condition to, to be perfectly honest I know runners say this all the time but I think I was probably in about 32 50 shape um for 10k but mentally uh having given everything to it for three years I was it was just I was I was wrecked and it, and it was time to move on so I suppose the the success for me was that physically uh I was I was better than ever and um so I kind of stepped away from running because I wanted to rather than rather than because of injury. Now I still I still run a couple of times a week. Um I still enjoy it and you know, but I, I suppose I'm I'm doing other things now like like going out for hikes and and different things like that, you know. So um yeah, it's more of a more of a pastime now. Okay. Well listen, Peter, thanks a million for joining us today. And you never know, should we might see you out on the hill sometime. That's it, that's it. Okay, talk to you soon, Peter, and best of luck with the book. Take care. Cheers, thanks. that's a wrap for this week everyone some great tips for running injury free from both Rene and Peter today and you know listen back write the tips down look back on them over the summertime and just watch all those great runs you are going to do stack up one final ask to check out our Patreon page everyone the pledges there every month help keep the show going so your 3 euros your 6 euros the price of a good protein bar will help make the difference if you do get a moment to do it have a super super week everyone running and training Good luck to the Mind, Body and Mountains crew who are meeting up again on Sunday the 27th. Check out their social media for more information on that. Everybody, get your running gear on. Let's go. Let's go.